This morning the sermon is entitled, Come Just As You Are. As I shared before, the purpose of this series is that you would fall so fully in love with Jesus that there wouldn't be anything you wouldn't do for Him this morning. Amen? Because God loves us infinitely. And we're going to learn from the Word of God how much He loves us and what are His character traits that we may appreciate them and fall in love with Him this morning. So I invite you to turn to our opening text in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. In Romans chapter 1, Paul proclaims that the heathens, we're talking about the heathens, they ought to know better, or at least they had a chance to know better. For we learn that all of nature right out there declares the glory or the character of God, and thus every person has been given a fair chance to know who God is. And it's for this very reason, that even the most degraded heathen that are out there Know that they are guilty and worthy of death. And that is why Paul finally declares that they are without excuse. The people in the world are without excuse. In Romans chapter 2, the audience switches from the heathen to the Christians within the church. So we can apply it to our lives. This chapter is there to reveal to us our true condition as humans, that we may exude the humility of Christ within our lives. So this morning as we continue our study in righteousness by faith, may God reveal to us our true condition, that we may be truly humble. Let us pray, Father, as we humbly open your precious words this morning, we do ask that you speak to us. We humbly ask, Lord, that you may help me, that it may be simple and clear to your people. We thank in Jesus' name. Amen. What does the Bible say about Christians who judge others? Notice the Bible says, Therefore, you are inexcusable without excuse, O man, whosoever you are that judges. The first word he uses there in Romans chapter 2, verse 1 is therefore. In other words, when you use that word therefore, what are you saying there? It's talking about what? What happened before that, right? Previously. So Paul said, because of what I shared with you in chapter 1, therefore, because of what I explained to you in number 1, therefore you are inexcusable. You don't, are without excuse. Now what we learn in chapter 1 about the heathens. In other words, the heathens know better or have a chance to know better and are without excuse for rejecting God. Therefore, if the heathen are without excuse, then you Christians who profess to know better are even more so without excuse, right? Therefore, you are inexcusable Christians. For the heathen know about God, you more so who proclaim to know about God are without excuse. On top of that, it says, Whosoever you are that judges. Now, when someone judges someone else, what are they saying? Basically about themselves. They actually know what is right, and they're saying they know what is wrong, right? And so when I judge someone else, or you judge someone else, what you're saying is that I know what is right, and I know what is wrong, therefore I'm able and capable to judge someone else, right? So the Bible is saying, is, okay, if you're able to judge someone else because you claim to know what is right 
and what is wrong. Therefore, you are without excuse for doing what is wrong when you do something wrong, right? So when you judge someone, you're saying, I know what is right, I know what is wrong, so therefore if I judge someone, therefore God holds you responsible and says, okay, you're judging someone, therefore you are without excuse because you're claiming to know what is right and what is wrong. So the Bible says, therefore, you are without excuse, O man, whosoever you are that judges. That is why we as Christians shouldn't judge one another. Amen? Now there will come a time where we will judge men and angels during the millennium, but the time has not yet come. And there's a place for church leaders, we told, to rebuke open sin and to decide cases between brothers and sisters so they won't take each other to court. But there's a special time and place for that. But as for the everyday criticizing and complaining about the mistakes and shortcomings of others, there has no place in the life of a Christian. I sorrowfully admit that I'm guilty of this very thing. And I know there are many of us here this morning who are also guilty this morning. And that is why we should repent of this sin and purpose in our hearts that we will not judge one another, but leave all judgment into the hands of a loving God. Amen? Now what does the Bible say about those who judge? Turn to verse 1 again. The rest of it says, Therefore you are inexcusable, man, whosoever you are that judges. For wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you that judge does the very same thing. The Bible says that those who judge others shouldn't judge because those who judge others are actually guilty of the very same things. Now how is this so? Well, turn to me, with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. It goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. How is it that we who judge others are guilty of the very same thing? What are the works of the flesh according to the Bible? Let's see what the Bible has to say. The Bible says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, or the deeds of the flesh. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, envying drunkenness, and carousing. Let's interpret it a little bit. In other words, the works of the flesh is sinful. Now, the Bible doesn't say, now the works of some of our flesh is sinful, but instead it says that the works of the flesh is sinful, which is all-inclusive. Whoever has flesh, all of our works is sinful. All of our flesh is sinful. In other words, the works of every single person's flesh who has ever lived is sinful. We're told we have sinful flesh, right? But we all had the same evil within ourselves, but more or less developed. You follow me? 
We all have all these evils that was just mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. We all have it within our flesh, but just more or less developed in certain people than in others. You see, if the flesh of all humans who have ever lived is sinful, then everyone here this morning in this church is capable of every and any sin. That is why those who judge others are guilty of the very same thing. But those who judge others have the capability to do the very same sins. But the only reason that we're not doing it is because of the restraining grace and mercy of God this morning. Amen? That's the only reason we're not doing it. I'm not doing it. In other words, we're all in the same boat, and that boat is sinking this morning. Amen? That boat is sinking. Within every single one of us is the sinful nature to be drunk. Within every single one of us is the sinful nature to be a homosexual. Within every single one of us here this morning is the sinful nature to commit adultery. Within every single one of us this morning, there's a sinful nature to be a murderer. The only reason why we don't do it is because of the restraining grace of God this morning. And if we truly understood this, then we wouldn't judge one another, but instead we would pray for and encourage and support one another this morning. Amen? That's why Martin Luther, when he saw a drunken man staggering out of the tavern, he said, there, but for the grace of God goes I. Martin Luther understood that even though he was not physically drunk that day, that if it wasn't for the grace of God restraining him from that, doing that sin, he too would be a drunk. And the same conscious understanding that we're creating within all of us, a humility, beloved, that would not judge others. Turn back to Romans chapter 2, verse 4. We continue our studies in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. We learn not to judge one another. We all have the same flesh. We're in the same boat that's sinking. We will not pride ourselves or better. We're only grateful to God because His restraining mercy and grace is holding us back from what another person is doing. What does the goodness of God do? Romans chapter 2, verse 4. The Bible says, Despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to what? Repentance. You see, the teaching that is taught in most our Adventist churches today is the teaching of Arminianism. This teaching teaches that salvation is dependent upon our ability to confess and repent. came out of the Dark Ages. In other words, in order for us to receive salvation, we must first Compent, I'm sorry, confess and repent of our sins, right? How many of you heard of that before, right? Okay. Which is true. But although this is true, this is not the complete picture. For the Bible says that it is the goodness of God or His grace that we receive first, right, that leads us to repentance. In other words, God initiates with His goodness first, His grace, and then we respond by repenting, right? His grace, and then we repent. Now, even though God initiates with His grace, is repentance 
fully our part. Turn to Acts chapter 5, verse 31. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. So we looked at God's grace leads us to repentance, but is now we have to repent. Now, is repentance fully our part? Now, let's see what the Bible says. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. Now, what I say, what the Bible says, Him as God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a savior, God, for to give what? Repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Not only does God give forgiveness, but the Bible says God gives the gift of repentance. So the gift of repentance, in order for us to repent, is only through the grace of God this morning also. So we know that God's goodness, which is a gift of His grace, leads us to repent, which is also a gift of His grace this morning. What about our salvation? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Turn to me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. What about our salvation? This whole process of being saved. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved. How are you saved? Through what? Grace. Are you saved through faith? And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God this morning. Amen? The Bible says that salvation is also a gift of God's grace to us. So look at this paper right here, this little diagram I made for you, so you understand it this morning. The top says, God's goodness, which is a gift of His grace, is what leads us to repentance, which we learn in Acts 5, is also a gift of His grace, beloved, this morning. With the whole process saves us, which is also a gift of His grace this morning, beloved. In other words, it is only God and His grace that saves us this morning. If you believe what I'm saying, let me hear you say amen. amen. It is His grace, grace, grace that saves us completely this morning. So we know the process. God's goodness leads us to repentance, right? Change our life, forgiveness, we transform. We're saved by His grace, all grace. But do we see God's goodness in this earth at all? Let's see what the Bible has to say. Turn with me to Psalms 33, verse 5. Psalms 33, verse 5. We want God's goodness, right? Because there's no way we're going to repent unless we see God's goodness. But does God have his goodness in this earth at all? Is there any goodness of God in this earth? Psalm 33, verse 5. The Bible says, the, He loves righteousness. He loveth righteousness and judgment. Then the Bible says, The earth is full of the what? The goodness of the Lord. So, is the earth full of God's goodness this morning? So all around us, there's witnesses that God is good this morning. That God is merciful to us this morning. And the only reason why we won't repent, is found in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, is that because we despise His goodness. We've seen it, but we don't want to believe that God is good. We want to complain and murmur when, God, why did this happen to me? Why did you allow this 
to come my way? Why aren't you telling me what to do? Why aren't you leading by providence and making it clear in my life? Why did my husband die? Why did my children have to go through this torture in the hospital? We blame God. You're the one that did it. Why don't you make things better? And we blame God for all the evil things that Satan does in our lives. We reject God's goodness, kindness, and patience that he has for us this morning. Now turn back to Romans chapter 2, verse 11. Romans chapter 2, verse 11. Is God impartial this morning? The Bible says, For there is no respect of persons with God. The Bible says that there is no respect of persons with God or partiality with God. God is not impartial to us. In other words, God does not prefer a certain class of people over another. He doesn't have respect in regard to a person's outward circumstances, but instead he has respect in regard to our intrinsic merits within us. How does God see us this morning? Turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus this morning. Amen? In other words, no matter what we are, no matter what we've got this morning, God still sees all of us as being equal this morning. Amen? You see, we as humans, we like to label, we like to stereotype, we like to categorize people. Why? So we can better understand them. We can better know how to relate to one another. But the problem is that there are negative effects in stereotyping people and categorizing them. We stereotype the poor as being envious of the rich and the rich as being greedy. We categorize the conservatives as being rigid and the liberals as being compromising. We label the Chinese as being stingy, Japanese as being sneaky, Portuguese as talking too much, and you know the other races that can go on and on and on, some not so good. The problem with labeling is that when we do label people a certain way, it may not always be true. True, right? And thus it affects our relationship with one another. And sometimes we get so conditioned in labeling people that when we cannot do it, we get frustrated. I was at a pastor's meeting the ending of last year. I had a, um, some classes. I was, I was taking a class up there with other pastors. We were up there for a week. It's a week when I was at um, Audioverse. And while I was there, I happened to pass by these two pastors, the older one and the younger pastor. I was listening to the conversation and the elections were coming up. You know how things get when the elections were coming up? And this younger person, pastor happened to be an independent. He wasn't a Republican. He wasn't a Democrat. He was an independent. This got the older pastor very upset because he wasn't willing to be labeled a Republican or a Democrat. You know what I'm saying, right? You know people like that? They get upset because you're not labeled. So 
they were, he was actually arguing with this younger pastor, why don't you just claim yourself as a Republican or a Democrat? And his younger said, I don't want to be a Republican or Democrat. I want to be independent that if I see a good candidate, I'm going to choose who I feel is the best person. And this person was arguing for answers for a long time, and this guy was getting mad. This person was getting mad at this younger pastor because they wouldn't categorize them in the category that they wanted to be stereotyped as. We're so conditioned to labeling people that when we cannot do it, we get frustrated. But beloved, even though everyone around us wants to stereotype and label us, the same biblical principle still applies to us today. For with God, there is neither Caucasian nor Filipino, neither, neither Chinese nor Hawaiian, neither educated or uneducated, neither Democrat or Republican, neither rich nor poor, neither degreed nor non-degreed this morning, beloved, neither liberal nor conservative, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. If you believe what I'm saying, let me hear you say amen. amen. We are all equal in the eyes of God this morning. Now what did Jesus say? Who did Jesus say needed a physician? Turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Who did Jesus say needed a physician? When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole or are well have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said that those who are well have no need for a physician. It's only those who are sick that need a physician, right? If you're well, you're good, you don't need to go to the doctor, right? It's only when you're sick that you need to go to the doctor. In the same way, those who feel, of us who feel this morning, feel that we are righteous, we have no need for a Savior, right? It's only those of us here this morning who feel we are sinners or we're spiritually sick that we feel that we need the divine physician here this morning, amen? The Savior. But the Bible says that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God this morning. In other words, the reality is every single person in this church this morning is spiritually sick with sin, whether we realize it or not this morning, amen? And every single person needs to come to the divine physician this morning, our Savior, to be healed this morning. You see, beloved, the church, as Jesus presented, is a hospital for sinners to be made whole this morning. Amen? Now, first of all, in this church hospital, of course, the staff, such as the elders and leaders of the church, need to be spiritually competent enough to be able to help and heal the sick of the people that come in. But nevertheless, this is still a hospital for sinners this morning. Now, you don't go to the hospital because you're well, right? You wouldn't waste your time besides visiting. But you don't go to the hospital because you're well, but you go to the hospital because you're sick. In the same way, you don't go to church because you think you're righteous or you're well, but you go, nevertheless, you go to church because you realize that you're spiritually sick and you need spiritual healing here this morning. Amen? Amen. I've heard people 
people have told me in this district, people in the community, they told me that I don't want to go to church because I'm so sinful that if I was walking at church, the walls would fall down. You ever heard that? People, I had like, three people in this community tell me that. The walls would fall I'm so sinful, the walls would fall down. Think about that. Now, if you were sick and you're going to die and your family wanted to take you to the hospital, but he said, you know what? He told your family members, I don't want to go to the hospital because I'm so sick that if I was to walk in the hospital, the walls would fall down. How would that sound? Doesn't make sense. In the same way, we, if we need spiritual healing and we go to church and be made whole, why would the walls fall down, beloved? If we're a spiritual hospital, it doesn't make sense. Never heard people tell me that I don't want to go to church because I don't want to be a hypocrite. You ever heard that before? Now, what if you got into a car accident and your arm got cut off and you're bleeding profusely out of your arm and you're bleeding to death? And the people around you at the emergency site, the situation, the car accident, say, we're going to take you to the hospital. You've got to go now or you're going to die. You're really, really badly hurt. You're sick. And you say, well, I don't want to go to the hospital because if I go to the hospital, I'm going to look like a hypocrite. How would that sound? In the same way, if we need spiritual healing, beloved, this morning, and we walk into the church to be made whole, why would we be called a hypocrite? It's only when we don't feel we need spiritual healing and feel that we're righteous and have no need to be made whole. We may be a hypocrite. There's a quotation I'll read to you on the red paper if you look down. My James White. I thought it was a beautiful presentation of looking at your papers. It says, The blood of Christ alone can make us clean. We can never make ourselves better. We must come to Jesus to make us better. Until then, nothing is done. Our very first duty is to come to Jesus. Amen? Come then, poor sinner. Wait not another moment, foolishly thinking you'll be more fit by and by. You'll never be more fit and never more welcome than at this moment. Jesus knows far better than even you do how sinful and vile you are, yet he does not say wait, but come. Come then with all your sins and weakness and hardness of heart. Come to Jesus. Come as a sinner and come just as you are this morning. Amen? This morning, why don't you come just as you are? Why do you come and be healed this morning? Why don't you come and be restored back into the image of God? Why don't you come and experience His life-changing love that you may be made whole this morning? But before you come, you must first sit down and count the cost. For you, real- you must realize that if you do come, you will never be the same again. For God will change you. And it's for this very re- reason that you may end up losing the affections of your friends, your family, your co-workers, or your neighbors this morning. But beloved, if you do come, you will finally be free. Free to live out your dreams. Free to finally follow the dictates of your conscience. 
free to become what God wants you to become here this morning. Amen? So this morning, as Janelle and Tiffany sing, come just as you are. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.